Jay, uh, you went to Howard University. I went to Hampton. Two, I guess you could say, uh, rival HBCUs, correct? I, I don't see it as a rivalry. I mean, you know, it's just, it's like one, Howard, without question, is America's Black College. There's no doubt. America's Black College, America's HBCU is Howard University. And two, we can get along as long as the Hampton Pirates realize there's only one HU. Jay Skywalker covers HBCU football at ESPN and is one of the most celebrated quarterbacks in the history of Black college football. You guys can be the Institute or Hampton Institute University, but there's see, only see, one HU. That's all I'm going to say. See, look, here's the thing, man. Like, I thought you would be a great person for this podcast, for this episode. And, you know, <laughs> I'm starting to have second thoughts right now because, look, there is only one HU and it, it yes. resides in the 757. You know, we, you know, I love Howard, but we got to call y'all Howard. We take the H every year, man. Come on now, you oh, know that. We came I mean, to BC you know, and took it. If you're judging by stuff what happens on the basketball court and on the football field, year to year, I guess it could change, but there's only <laughs> one HU. I'm going to give you a pass, youngster. I'll school you. My, my, my degree says Hampton University, so do my student loans. <laughs> <laughs> Fair no, enough. But Fair enough. Seriously, man, it's a true pleasure to have you here. And obviously, we're here to discuss a topic that is very near and dear to both of us. And now, for context, before we really get into this discussion, for anybody who may be unfamiliar with Black colleges and universities, historically Black colleges and universities, they were founded to give black men and women opportunities to pursue higher education long before the days of integration. And of course, athletics make up a major part of that conversation, in particular football. And Steve McNair, Steve McNair is a major player in that history. And unfortunately, Jay, uh, you know, Steve isn't here to tell his story, but that's why you're here. And your career uh, overlapped with Steve. So what was it like hearing about Steve McNair during that 1994 season that you remember? Man, it, it was it was it was pride. It was also like, okay, we're making an impact. Just like you and I joke about Howard Hampton being rivals. I mean, in in the 90s, it was, you know, Steve Aaron McNair versus Jay Skywalker. McNair throws back. Kobe Jenkins touchdown. Walker back to pass, throws in the middle, has it complete to Harrell. I mean, we, we were competitors. Woo. We competed to the fullest level. I mean, you know, when I talk to, you know, people, you know, Shaq Harris in particular, he says, man, that rival y'all had, we probably haven't had HBC football in a while. Like, two guys at the peak of their game playing. So I'm a year ahead of Steve. So me being a year ahead of Steve, I get drafted to the National Football League, and I go to camp with the Patriots, and I'm having a great camp, you know, great camp. And then having just a couple of those coaches say, you know what, what you're doing is going to help out. Because people were wondering, could these two black quarterbacks from HBCUs be this good? And the guy, when the coach told me, he said, man, you know, Steve McNair going to make a lot of money because you should have <laughs> made more money than you got. And when I'm hearing, you know, hey, I'm helping out Steve. I'm feeling good as a fellow HBCU alum and uh, I'm proud of that moment because that's that kind of torch we had. But I think, you know, safe to say we carried it during the 90s 
and he took it to a whole nother level uh, his senior year, you know, with the numbers he put up. And that was just a career award for what he does. He had been lighting it up ever since he got on campus there in Louisville, Mississippi. Steve McNair would have turned 51 this past Valentine's Day had his life not been tragically cut short due to gun violence. To many, McNair was a great NFL quarterback, forever remembered for leading the Tennessee Titans to within inches of a victory against the Rams in Super Bowl 34. But what you might not know is that Steve McNair's final season at Alcorn State is among the greatest put together by any college football player ever. Today, Jay Skywalker, himself a prolific passer from Howard University and college rival to Steve McNair, takes us through that senior season, tells us what it was like trying to make the NFL as a quarterback from an HBCU, and looks at how we can better level the playing field for HBCU prospects looking towards the NFL. I'm Justin Tinsley. It's Tuesday, February 20th. This is ESPN Daily. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with the smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky. 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. All right, Jay, you said that you and Steve McNair were the two big quarterbacks in HBCU football during that era. I got to ask, did your paths ever cross off the field? And what were those conversations like? We we did post, you know, Mm -hmm. afterwards, you know, after we played, I mean, you know, I'll, I'll give you a funny story. Like there was a time we were playing them in St. Louis for this classic game. And our sports information guy, Ed Hill, says, Jay, when we get off the plane, you know, don't go up to your hotel. We got a limousine waiting for you. They're going to do an interview with you and, uh, and and Charlie Neal and Steve McNair. I'm like, oh, I'm riding big time. I'm in the limo. Well, <laughs> we drive the limo. We stop at a red light. He gets in the limo. And this is like the day before a game. And I'm like, <laughs> and we literally looked across each other. I think he was mad to see me in the limo. I'm mad to see him getting in the limo. And we looked at each other and we're like, man, this is just wrong. You know, we should have had two separate cars. And then I say that say as we got older, we both remembered that same moment. Like when he got in, he was like, man, what, what the heck is, is Jay Walker doing here? I'm about to beat his head in. And I'm like, man, what's he doing here? I'm getting ready to put hands on him. So <laughs> and then we, we we laughed at it like, that's an HBCU story for you. You know, they didn't have two limos. They only had one limo. And they made it share it. But, but we can appreciate it. We always try to make it better for the next guy. That limo story is a great one. And it relates here well because there just is a difference playing ball at an HBCU versus a Power Five conference, right? So my questions for you are this, like, how are things limited by not only the available resources, but by who is around you in a conference like the MIAC, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference, or the SWAC, the Southwestern Athletic Conference? You know, when you play HBCU football, 
you know, you gotta, you have to own that locker room. Yep. You have to own that culture. You can't complain about anything. No point complaining about my left guard because my left guard is not going to the National Football League. My right tackle is probably not even. But you want everybody to believe, give me 100% effort. And if you watch Steve McNair play, I mean, his offensive line wasn't great. I mean, they made some adjustments where they took these extra wide splits just so he could drop back 10 yards where everybody else is dropping back five to seven. Steve was the king of dropping back 10, sometimes <laughs> 15, just so he could see where he was going to run. The bleeding. McNair back to pass. Plenty of time looking, and he takes off. He's dangerous. Look at him at the 30. He's at the 35, 40. McNair at midfield, and he's out of bounds. I mean, if you if you to put him with a superior line like he got when he got to the National Football League, you saw that. Then there's no telling what he would have done, particularly on the college football level. So, you mentioned Howard University. You played quarterback there, so it's not the same conference as McNair, as you as you said. But at the same time. What was it like playing quarterback in the MEAC, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference back then? I mean, it was tough. I mean, you know, all, all the way around. I mean, you know, they're the guys I played against, you know, like the Earl Holmes of the world that came in, the Robert Porsche that was playing there. Every school had a dominant defensive player. And then, you know, when we took on all-court state down the swack, I mean, Steve had a guy um, in, by the name of John Theory who went first round as well as a defensive lineman. They got drafted in the first round of the Bears, and Marlo Perry and Fernando Smith were dominating down there at Jackson State. So each school had these guys that, that would bring it to you, and, and that Grambling defense was always going to be tough there. So I, I think you know the difference in the conference, and it still kind of plays out today in today's HBC world of the landscape is you know the MEAC is probably more of a, 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 t, a conference where you have to be able to run the football in between the tackles. Because, you know, you got those Northeast schools and can't throw it like crazy during the wintertime. And the swack is wide open, spread it out, let's have some fun. <laughs> so Steve McNair actually would have turned 51 this past Valentine's Day. Uh, he tragically lost his life due to gun violence in 2009. And there's a lot more to that story. But I got to go back to his final year as QB at Alcorn State. And I got to read these stats out for people who are listening. 5,377 passing yards, 47 passing touchdowns, 904 rushing yards, nine rushing touchdowns. Combined, combined, that's nearly 6,300 yards of total offense with 56 touchdowns. And he was a Heisman candidate all season and, and wound up finishing third in the voting. So when we think about the long, complex, illustrious history of college football, where does that senior season from McNair rank amongst the all-time greats, in your opinion? Wow. Uh, well, I want to say, if you want to talk from a pure quarterback perspective, we weren't throwing the football around like they do now. There were yeah. no bubble screens out there to get these numbers. So think about it. Quarterbacks throw more now, and his records still stand. You got guys coming out that throw the ball 45 times a game, and they're still not touching uh, his all-time total yardage records there. So that lets you know that's how it holds up against the test of time. That was one of the greatest seasons out there. You, you mentioned he came in third for the for the Heisman Trophy. I want to know who beat him. So oh. McNair's the one that stands out. Oh, I can tell you. Give me one second. So he finished behind running backs Rashawn Salam and Kajana Carter. He was third behind them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and you, you know, it's weird going back to, you know, you asked what I do now for ESPN. Well, I, I covered Shadur Sanders when he was at Jackson State. You yep. know, covered all of his games. And when they started saying, oh, he's going to win the Heisman Trophy, I was like, yeah, 
Why not? And I would always say I had not seen a quarterback that had you on the edge of your seat every play like Steve McNair, but Shadur Sanders had some of that with him. Every time he dropped back, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? So I would tell him, well, history goes that McNair probably should have won that Heisman Trophy. Well, Mm -hmm. I think a guy like McNair having the run he had and having the pro career that he had and getting the respect that he got has people saying, oh, can a guy from a smaller school maybe win it? And now that Shadur's at Colorado, you know, hats off to him. But I thought he could have been doing the same things at Jackson State University. And those were the similarities that I saw. A guy like McNair made it easier for you not to laugh and say, oh, this kid from Jackson State can win the Heisman Trophy. You know, I want to focus on that for a little bit. Uh, what exactly is the history of HBCU Heisman finalists? Well, nobody got uh, nobody got hired in third. Uh, yep, I know yeah. that Walter Payton was a top 10 guy. That's when they used to invite the top 10 finalists there. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. Doug Williams finished in the top 10. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe, and I, I want to say Jerry Rice might have been like he did seventh day, something like that. So those have been the the bigger names that you've seen there. Uh, but you know, I think you know, in the grand scheme of things, is it time for somebody to get it? Yes, but we're also at a time where it's hard for the HBCU players to win like some of the national FCS awards that go out there. So you know, if, if but can it happen now? Yes, I think it can happen because I think America can see it more on TV now than they ever saw it before. So I, I want to go back to 1994, man. I want you to really like paint the scene as much as you can. What was the atmosphere like around McNair's Heisman candidacy? Like, what do you remember people saying in the media? You were men- you mentioned what the conversations were in the Patri- Patriots locker room with yeah. you. So uh, th- what was that atmosphere like around that time? It, it was, can this guy be this good? You know, I'll never forget there was a, uh, a uh, Sports Illustrated which was, you know, the wherewithal, the only big sports yep. magazine out there, hand him the Heisman. Vote for Magnus. He put Lorman on the map every Saturday while attracting the attention of Sports Illustrated magazine, who told the world to hand him the Heisman as Air McNair graced the cover of the magazine on September 26 of 1994. At Alcorn State, now I don't know if y'all know where Alcorn State University is, but Alcorn you got to fly into Jackson, Mississippi, and you got to drive an hour and 10 minutes on a road that ends at Alcorn. It's at the end of the road, literally, and you can't find a hotel within a 30-mile radius. The whole city of Jackson was sold out. The whole city of Vicksburg was sold out. People were flying into Louisiana to get over to Alcorn, uh, Mississippi, and it was like every week, what's he going to do? And it was every you know, the, the sports center aspect, you know, would cover it as much as they could. We're not here to say who should get the Heisman. That's not our job. That's not what we do. But we offer these numbers. Through seven games compared to Heisman winner Charlie Ward, also running and throwing quarterback, Air McNair has substantially more passing and rushing yards and more TDs. 15 more combined Aaron Ground. But of course, this, it was a phenomenon. Was like, who is this guy? You know, all of a sudden, this man single handedly put all court state on the map. I mean, you mentioned. Steve McNair, you mentioned Alcorn. If you mentioned Alcorn State, everybody in America will say that's where Steve McNair went. Yep. And that's letting you know during that year what he did. You had to be there. It was must-see TV and the job that it did nationally for that small institution down there in Lorman, Mississippi was phenomenal. Yeah, you mentioned that SI cover, Hand Him the Heisman. They actually got that from a rap song from students at Alcorn that 
1994 was the comparison of going viral nowadays. Yeah, it was like give the, it, hand, hand him the Heisman was the name of the song. So it was just it's just amazing t- to see the groundswell of energy that was around Steve McNair r- around this point in time in his career. But hold on, Jay. Like, I know we joked a lot about Howard and Hampton at the beginning, but I got to give you your flowers. I got to give you your respect. Let me run off some of your accomplishments right now for anybody listening. You're in the MEAC Hall of Fame, the Mid-Eastern Athletic Conference. You're in that Hall of Fame. You're a two-time first-team All-MEAC. You were the MEAC Player of the Year in 1993. And as we said earlier, you were drafted by the Patriots in the seventh round in the 94 draft. If, you, if, if you're going to give me my flowers, I want my flowers. Now, you left off one, two big oh. things on that resume. Oh, oh sorry. Sorry. Go ahead. All right. How about one AA Sports Illustrated Play of the Year? And which goes a lot to what we're talking about is, you know, my, I think the biggest pride and joy I have is, you know, we played Alcorn twice. We beat Alcorn twice. 2-0 so, versus Steve McNair. Don't tell nobody that. They don't like to hear that down. <laughs> don't tell anybody that, but that's what I got to put on the resume. I mean, a lot of people know me for that, especially down in the SWAT. So, all right. So now that I've given myself a couple of flowers. No, no, as question, you should. <laughs> as you should. Run your stats off. Like, you did it. You accomplished it. It'd be, it'd be different if, you know, you were just sitting in the stands talking about what you would have done had you had the opportunity. You had the opportunity. You made the most of it. So, look, I'm going to give you your flowers and hell. Pick your own flowers and give them to yourself. That's what you're supposed to do. No, but I guess the question, knowing all of that, is like, did you feel like being an HBCU player made it harder for you to be considered for the NFL draft? Or what was your mind state around that point in time in your life? Yeah, absolutely. It did. But, you know, when when you're young, you know, 20, 21 years of age, you're thinking that the world is mine. I'm a conqueror. Just give me that chance. But I remember my coach, Steve Wilson, was telling me, you know, you got some tough things ahead of you as a as a as a black quarterback. One, you're a black quarterback. You know, we weren't in style. I think when I made it to the National Football League, I was the seventh black quarterback, not in the history of the game, but yeah. there were six current, and I became the seventh quarterback of color uh in the National Football League. You played at an HBCU, which is a black college. You have a black head coach, you have a black offensive coordinator. These are just things you're not used to. Yeah. But you can't worry about that. You can't look at the people around you, what they came from. You got to go out there and make it yourself. And I think the part that really hurt me the most was, I mean, coming out the combine, you know, I, I lit it up. I mean, I was ranked third best quarterback in the country, you know, wow. so they had all these rankings. So I'm thinking I'm going anywhere between the third or the fourth or fifth quarterback taken. Well, my year was unique because they took two quarterbacks in the first round, didn't draft another one to the fifth round. So I was the seventh overall quarterback taken. People take that all day long, coming from an HBCU. I remember, you know, Parcells telling me, hey, you can't control where you went in the draft. You can't control that. You should have been drafted higher. We took because we couldn't believe everybody passed on you. But it was like, go there, show everybody what you can do. And at that point, there were the the HBCU guys on the team. I remember them like yesterday. Ben Coates, uh, Maurice Hurst. They came by and they, Vincent Brown, and Vincent Brown, the Undertaker, they came by, got me, and said, "Look, we didn't even know Howard had a quarterback. <laughs> we didn't even know that." 
but you're here. It's your job to make sure you make this team it's that, that HBCU love that you have there. So having that support system there to say, okay, you know, are oh, you from Howard? Okay, yeah. Oh, this dude can play. Let's help him out and knowing that you're next. So then when I started playing a little bit, you know, year three or four, you take in those HBCU guys and you talk to them and you do that. So I think the HBCU, you know, the history of me playing there gave me that chip on the shoulder, knowing it was going to be tough. But also knowing at the end of the day, just go out there and play. You know, you got to be able to play. You know, having my name on my jersey in the pros was the first time I ever had my name on the back of my jersey. Period. Wow. Ever growing up. So I appreciated stuff like that, whereas other folks just took it for granted. So I I would love that stuff, but also realize, you know, you got to outplay somebody. And I think, you know, knowing you had to be twice as good and being a quarterback, you probably had to be three to four times as good to beat somebody out of that job really, uh, took me a long way. Coming up, we dig into an attempt at leveling the playing field for HBCU prospects. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. The NFL schedule drops this week, kiddos, and you can be there to catch all the action live and in person with Vivid Seats. Experience every touchdown, every tackle, and every eye-popping play of your favorite team. And to kick it off, Vivid Seats, the official ticketing partner of ESPN, is offering you $20 off your first $200 ticket purchase with code DAILY. That's code DAILY. Download the app or visit vividseats.com today. Vivid Seats. Experience it live. All right, Jay. So we've mentioned that McNair finished third in the Heisman voting. He ends up being the first quarterback selected in the 1995 draft, going third overall to the Houston Oilers. And the rest is history from there. But he's also the last HBCU player selected in the top 10 and the last HBCU quarterback to go in the first round. When I think of this, there's an entire documentary to be done about how HBCUs once got all the great black talent because HBCUs were their only options. And we know how once the big schools began recruiting them, how this changed the the scope of HBCU football forever. But, Jay, just looking at things, especially over the last 30 years, what has changed in terms of how HBCU talent is evaluated and is it reversible? I think 
It is. I think, you know, you have to know the nature of the National Football League. The nature of the National Football League is not to find the diamond in the rough and pay you everything they can. It's to find the talent out there and pay you as little as they can uh, by downgrading you know, the dra- uh, draft process, having scouts leave their comfort zone. It's easy to go to the University of Alabama on their pro day where you're going to see 22 guys that you assume are going to make it, but why not go down the road to Alabama State or to Tuskegee and find like the next Drayton Florence who played for a dozen years in the National Football League. And when you find it, I, I like to call them out. When you find these players, don't keep it to yourself. Stop trying to steal these National Football League players. You know, if they guys from HBCUs realize they probably had it tougher, I'd like to see them give them more uh, props for what they've done. I mean, there's no way you can have a guy like Marquise Bell. We're talking in recent mm-hmm. time. Marquise yep. Bell went to Florida A&M, was an undrafted free agent for the Dallas Cowboys, and by his second year, he started. Yep. Everybody that covered Marquise Bell knew he was a pro. Everybody knew that. So why downgrade him? You know, a guy like Teron Armstead, who I covered at the University of Arkansas Pine Bluff, you know, he goes in the fourth round as a left tackle, and he's a pro bowler by his third year. Everybody knew he was a pro, that he was a freaking nature. So guys have to leave their comfort level. Now, that being said, that's me, you know, being upset at the process. Now you're starting to see a better quality caliber of athlete. You know, HBCUs are now getting three-star guys. Four-star. Before, if you ever signed a three-star guy, it was the biggest news you heard. Well, now I talk to the coaches on the regular. They're getting three-star guys, four- or five-star guys because of this portal going to the big schools. Three-star guys are looking at HBCUs because, you know, you have to play. And I think they're learning, hey, if you can play, they will find you. That leads me to the HBCU Legacy Bowl. That's presented by the Black College Football Hall of Fame and it's broadcasted on the NFL Network. But tell me a little bit more about this event, Jay. Well, I think it's a fantastic opportunity. I mean, when you talk about it, you know, many of these kids aren't going to get invited to play in the Senior Bowl to the East-West Shrine game. So what is their postseason game? And my hat's off to the founders of this game. They said, we're not only going to do an all-star game that features HBCU players, but it's a first-class event. I mean, when you say first class, it is nice. I, I interviewed the players that played in the game, and they like showing off the, the, the rings that they get for playing there, the jerseys they get to keep. It's almost like an experience of a lifetime, you know. Uh, guys coming from HBCUs don't really get the chance to express themselves or get a chance to, you know, perform on a platform in front of thousands of people on NFL Network. This is what I've been dreaming about, to show my talents in front of everybody and scouts. This platform is going to give us opportunities. Um, it had, you know, NFL scouts, us in front of NFL Network cameras, interviews such as this one, just, you know, more exposure for uh, smaller schools. If you can find four or five diamonds in the rough in that game. And I think that's a good job. And those kids that have played there have gone on to kind of start making a name for themselves a little bit and you start to see it. So, you know, I got, I got a list of guys that I know that are playing the game this year where I could tell you how great they are, but now they're going to go get some of the best of the best HBCU players out there in front of some scouts. So you can't question the level of competition. I want to get into some names to look forward to in this game in a bit, but for anyone listening, these are the Black College Football Hall of Fame trustees. It's a who's who of Black College football royalty. James Shaq Harris, Doug Williams, Mel Blunt, Willie Lanier, and Art Shell. 
Like it, it doesn't get much more prestigious than that when it comes to black college football. Can, can you call those trustees that you named off and, and tell them they're missing a name that needs to be in the Black College Football Hall of Fame? Some guy that played quarterback at Howard, 93, named Jay Walker. But uh, I'm, I'm joking with you. I'm, I'm Put a, I'm Jay Walker on the board of trustees. You heard it here. <laughs> Do we need to read out his resume again? <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to be in the hall. <laughs> Thank you, but uh, nah, it's uh, not about me. Uh, we'll get there one day. But, um, you know, when, when I look around at some of the guys that this season that really stood out to the Ellsworth for this game, I think that the, the marquee name you're going to hear is a guy by the name of Davis Richard. Uh, Davis Richard was the preseason offensive player of the year from North Carolina Central. He plays quarterback. Collier comes in motion. Straight drop. Richard looking. He'll shoot one from the end zone. Caught. Touchdown. Got great size. Teams have been looking at him all season long. He led the Eagles to the playoffs. Uh, last year, he was the offensive player of the year in his junior year, and he did disappoint. With Collier on the left hip. Snap a little bit high. Richard will keep it himself. Got a lane touchdown central. But I like to see a game like this feature guy named uh, Lubert Demolis. You've never heard of Lubert. Lubert played Division II football at Benedict College. And you talk about dominating. He reminded me of a guy I played with by the name of John Randall. Could not block him. And all of his coaches said if he had one or two more inches, he wouldn't be at Benedict. He'd be at the University of South Carolina. So he's a guy that needs to make the most of a game like this. Isaiah Major is a big-time linebacker out of Florida A&M. You know, their defense they have was one of the best defenses we've seen in recent time, which has been good. We're about to find out right now. Receiver falls down. Interception. Darian Brokenberg, engine guy, defensive end, got an engine from Howard University, has the size, has the intangibles, got hit with the injury bug a little bit, but he has an opportunity to come out and showcase it. And Jablonski Green, another guy from South Carolina State. This time, Jablonski Green just annihilated a would-be block. One thing South Carolina State does is they produce defensive players. You know, from Chadrick Darby to Robert Porsche to Donnie Shell to Harry Carson, when you talk about South Carolina State, there's always going to be that defensive guy, Darius Shaq Leonard, now yep. South Carolina State. So you got to take a look at a guy when they say he's the real deal coming out of South Carolina State. Well, those are the guys that you got to pay attention to. So I think there's some interesting names there, some guys that should get that opportunity to play. And uh, they, they have to go there and show out, but they're NFL caliber guys. My mother will appreciate that South Carolina State mentioned she is class of 1977 and she bleeds <laughs> everything South Carolina State. So she she is going to be greatly appreciative of that. So, uh, Jay, just the last couple of questions, man. Like, so you've covered your fair share of HBCU football this season, and that that's just putting it lightly. What was the story of the past season in your eyes, whether it be on the field or off the field? What, what was the major point of conversation for you? On the field, absolutely, Florida a and uh, The job at the Rattlers finally put it together. I used to always say, FAMU has enough talent to win it, but it's always something. They find a reason not to. Willie Simmons and everybody put it together. They held it together long enough to get that championship run that they've been waiting to do because they were knocking on the door against Jackson State. Jackson State deferred, so Florida a and will receive the ball first. The transfer from Bethune Cookman.
Bears. Touchdown. I think that's on the field. Off the field, I'm gonna go back to I'm gonna go back to Orangeburg, South Carolina. The the final season of Oliver Buddy Pugh as a head coach for South Carolina State. Legendary coach there in the, you know, he'll be in the College Football Hall of Fame. He'll be in the Black College Football Hall of Fame. You know, that signature win he had when he beat Deion Sanders, Jackson State Tigers in that celebration bowl a season ago. Complete right at the first down marker, Vereen. Coach Pugh knew, didn't he? Look at Buddy. Look at the emotion there on Buddy Pugh. He really wanted this. And then he capped it off this year by going out with a, with a winning record. The team didn't make it to the championship game, but seeing him go in, in the quality class act he has off the field, the impact he had, I think that was a story that'll stick with me from this year. Absolutely. Salute to Coach Buddy Pugh. You know, Jay, I, I, it's been a true pleasure to talk to you just about your knowledge on all things HBCU culture and football and just proof that Hampton and Howard, I mean Howard, excuse me, sorry. I, I keep forgetting I keep forgetting the H is down in the 757. But no, seriously, it's, it's been a true pleasure talking to you today, man. Just about the legacy of Steve McNair and the past, the present, and and the future of HBCU football. So thank you for your time, my brother. Well, I appreciate it. You're not bad to be a pirate. <laughs> hey, look, I say the same thing about you as a bison, my friend. <laughs> I'm Justin Tinsley. This has been ESPN Daily. We'll talk to you tomorrow.